Oh, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Hey, guys, we're back. Uh, this is really weird, and I'm kind of excited and nervous. Hey, buddy. I woke up um, last night for like two hours as I was praying for our time together, and I don't know why. I'm just really uh, excited and anticipating what the Lord might be doing in our midst. I know this is a soft launch. I know this is probably some of you how you don't remember this room. If you're new with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, we want to be the kind of place that engages the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, anywhere, anytime, with anyone. And so as we get used to tape and distancing and all that fun stuff, thanks for your patience. Every seat's been prayed over um, and um, sanitized, so that's good, good news. Uh, but thanks. Uh, I don't know how your lives are going, um, but is it living up to your expectations right about now? Is life measuring up to what you expected it would be? Um, let me just, uh, 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 sometimes comparison brings pride or shame, neither of which is good, but let me compare a couple of things. Last 4th of July, it's, it's a big deal in our neighborhood, right, Debo? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. So normally we wake up around 9 o'clock. There's probably about 300 people that line the streets, and it's all homemade floats, parades, kids walking around, throwing candy, mass chaos, hanging out in neighbors' yards, eating all this kind of food that you shouldn't be eating, but apparently if it's on a holiday, it doesn't count. And that's just at 10 o'clock, that's over, okay? It lasts for about an hour. You see a bunch of people. It's like an extroverted triathlon, and my wife loves to run them, okay? She drags me along. I have a few side conversations and feel like I contributed to our marriage for the year. And we go back home, and then we assess, and we go down to the neighborhood pool, which has probably close to 400 people, um, and it can usually only hold about 200, and it's just mass family reunions, hysteria, like slicked watermelons, diving for donuts. There's not really donuts. It's like quarters. It's just this unbelievable mass. And then you come back, and you almost are dying of heat exhaustion, and then we do a cookout on the cul-de-sac for about 200 of our closest friends. And then we head back down to the common space for a fireworks show that has probably about 800 people. Are those numbers fairly accurate? Yes. Um, and so uh, this year, uh, we woke up at 9 o'clock, and there was two floats in the parade, and it was over in three minutes. We went back home. I could not have been happier. My wife could not have been angrier. Um, and so I sat in the air conditioning and watched uh, one season of Alone, which is a great show I'm going to tell you more about later, while my wife built a bike shed because she was so angry at what was happening. Um, and then we decided that evening, let's just go down to the pool. It's limited occupancy. We'll see what happens. Fireworks show has been canceled. Cookouts are canceled. We show up, and we're the only two adults at the pool, and there's four other kids. And 30 minutes after we get there, it's closed down for thunder break. So we go out there, and I can see the disappointment on my wife's face, and then we watch a private fireworks show with all of our neighbors who spent money so that we could enjoy it because there was no fireworks show, but wound up sitting down with a couple in our neighborhood and had a great conversation for about an hour and a half talking about the joys of parenting. I got home, and I'm like, this is the greatest introverted 4th of July I've ever had. Now, I don't think it measures up to my wife's expectations or our neighborhood's expectations, but I'm trying to figure out how we move forward in this day and age and measure what matters most. Has what matters to you changed at all? About three months ago, there were things that I was really worried about that are nowhere near on my radar right now. And it's amazing as we start to come out and try to figure out how we become a society and a community and a church again, um, I start to see kids emerging from their houses and they're like six inches taller. 
I don't know how it works with you, but maybe that's just the age group around my, my neighborhood. Like I walk up to people I saw before and you're like, why, why are you taller than me right now? My daughter, Maggie, it seems like her hair and her body are growing like exponentially. She walked by the other day. I'm like, when did you get so tall? Have you guys ever done this? Um, mark someone on your door jam about how tall they are. Uh, we, could, we do that about every six or eight months, not real consistently. The last time we did it, I actually shrunk, which was really embarrassing. And my wife hasn't let me live that down. But during this season, I think the Lord is getting our attention and the church's attention. And I wonder, can we change how we measure what matters most? And first of all, we got to answer what matters most, right? Because here's what I want to know. Am I growing as a Christian? Now, I know that can be a dangerous question. And uh, just so we're clear, um, I came out of addiction in my 30s because I was addicted to legalism. I thought, man, if I can just prove to the Lord that I'm valuable, if I can go on a lot of missions trips, if I can preach a lot of sermons, if I can really prove worth to the church and to my family, boy, then God would be proud of me and accept me. So for any of you recovering legalists in here, I see you, hello, how are you? This is not a condemnation sermon about do more stuff. But I would like to ask the question, do we know how to measure what matters most when it comes to maturing in our faith? Do we even know what to look for? Are we allowed to intentionally partner with the Holy Spirit to produce some of these things? Because make no mistake, men and women, the gospel is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And what Jacoby just read, Peter said, make every effort to add to your faith. And he's gonna go on this list. And I just wanna slow walk that list tonight and ask the Holy Spirit to take a word and grab your attention and go, yeah, that's what we need to grow in. And there may be a word that you go, wow, over this past year, that's pretty good, Lord. This used not to be evident in my life, but man, we've made some intentional strides in developing that in our faith. So make every effort to add to your faith. So we're gonna start with faith, okay? Are we clear what faith is? Faith is believing, trusting in, relying on Jesus. Now. Uh, our senior pastor, Mike Glenn, likes to, to say it this way. If you wanna know what you believe in, take a look at your life. So I'm not just talking about, hey, I said a prayer or, or I kind of attend church or my parents were Christians. I'm talking about a life-altering, perspective-altering, world-shattering view and belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to establish his kingdom here on earth. He died, rose again on the third day, and he's coming back to establish his kingdom here on earth, and I wanna be a part of it. So every financial decision, every relationship decision, everything that goes on my calendar goes through that grid. I have faith in Jesus Christ. I'm believing, trusting, and relying on him. My highest success and my deepest failures. I have faith that the Lord is near, that the Lord will uphold those who fall down, that he will pick up me when I'm lost and when I'm wounded, and he will not ever let me go. So we're starting with faith. That's where we're at. And if you're not a person who's just here considering the claims of Christ or this kind of stuff sounds like hocus pocus or really weird religious stuff, thank you. Would love to talk to you. We'll continue the conversation. We believe it's a gift from God. That there's this moment where just the Holy Spirit kind of opens up our eyes, a light bulb goes on and we don't understand everything, but something compels us to go, God is good and beautiful. And that's how Peter started off this section. He's given us these great and glorious promises in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we're gonna make every effort to add to our faith, knowledge, 
That's what I think should come next. It's not what Peter put next. The next word in that verse is add to your faith is goodness. Now, I would have put knowledge, especially if I was Peter, right? Peter, after all, right, he got divine knowledge when he was hanging out with Jesus. Hey, you're the son of God, the Messiah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven. All right, on this rock, I'll build my church. That's some sweet knowledge, isn't it? He even knew that he was the son of God when he denied him three times. Got restored, called back, and wound up launching one of the greatest movements we've ever seen. Why wouldn't Peter go after faith and knowledge? Why would he say goodness? Now, I don't want to make a big deal out of the word order, but I do think it is a big deal. I don't know about you, but we need some more goodness in this world. We need some more goodness in the Christian community. It feels like there's divisiveness, that we're huddling up, we're tribing up, and we're launching online accusations and straw man arguments that are getting us nowhere. I don't know about you, but I want Kairos to be the kind of congregation where we just shake our head after every time we get together and go, my goodness, God is good. Because if you're ever gonna add to your faith anything other than a superficial or superstitious belief that there is a God somehow and I'm not really sure if he exists and maybe I'll just be good enough one day and I'll be okay. If you're actually gonna add to it consistently the message of Jesus, you have to fundamentally believe this, God is good. And most of us doubt that on a daily basis. When we look at our lives and we look at our reality. So to remind you, this whole thing started off in Genesis. And as God begins to create, every day he affirms his own creation. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when we show up as men and women, image bearers of God, he says creation goes from good to very good. If you hear nothing else tonight, hear this. God has good intentions for your life. And once we believe in those good intentions and his glory and his goodness go hand in hand, they are not polar opposites. And that he understands how we will flourish best in a life of significance that will include suffering to produce character. Then we can start to add to our faith goodness. Then we can start to become people who sacrificially give, serve, and show up in such a way that people start shaking their heads and go, my goodness, what's going on in there? I love this about you guys, right? Some of the big highlights that we like to point to sometimes, right? We were in here and we had John Thomas from South Africa and they were trying to make sure they had clean drinking water for the people in South Africa. And we set a goal of $5,000 and we raised $50,000. And people in South Africa are drinking clean water because a group of young adults is gathering here just to praise the name of Jesus. Then we found out just a couple uh, weeks ago, based off of your continued giving and our support with them, during COVID-19, they provided over 1 million meals to people who were underfed and under-resourced in South Africa. (laughs) My goodness. And then we brought back stateside just about six months ago when we hung out with our buddies from Cultivate who are growing food and growing people. And we took up $20,000 in here because every vegetable they grow, they give to someone who's in need or undernourished or under-resourced. And then they also bring in people for job skills training and discipleship and try to make sure that people are made in the image of God and being rehabilitated in the image of God. My goodness, what's going on? Why are you guys so generous and giving? And I know those are the big dollar ones that we like to point out and always trumpet as a success. But can I be honest with you? It's the smaller ones that mean more to me. It's when I hear stories about someone just coming to Christ 
in a Bible reading group and realizing he's in a bad situation where he's living and needs to get out. And one of his friends says, come sleep on my couch until you find a place to stay. Doesn't even hesitate. My goodness. It's the story of a teenage girl finding an unexpected pregnancy and a husband and wife who were also expecting their first child in this congregation say, come live with us. We'll take care of you until you have the baby. My goodness. It's a girl who struggled with self-harm her entire life and texts Stephanie to celebrate. I just went 12 hours without cutting myself. My goodness. It's stressed out marriages and parents and kids managing to find time in the middle of the day simply to pray and open up their Bibles and celebrate, hey, I spent time with God this week. My goodness. I don't know about you, but I want some more of the goodness of God going around in amazing, exuberant ways, but also these subtle, life-changing ways that often go uncelebrated. So make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge. Now, um, as somewhat of a nerd, this is where I get really, really excited because now we're going to start talking about we need to learn the Bible. Yeah. Let me speak out of both sides of my mouth real quick, okay? First of all, Thomas uh, Long, professor of Chandler School of Theology in Atlanta, once said this, the greatest threat to Christianity is not atheism, it's superficiality. We have a pandemic of biblical illiteracy that we are the people who our birthright that we inherited through the death and resurrection of Jesus was to be sons and daughters of God and to hear our Father's voice, recognize our identity, and obey his will, but some of us would not know the word of God if it bit us in the buttocks. And why is that? We've mostly neglected this. I just kind of... That's dusty, that's something preachers do, that's some of the weird people who really like to flaunt all their head knowledge do. I don't know, I really don't get anything out when I spend time with it, I get it. We're walking through that in some of our discipleship and just realizing sometimes it's discipline before it turns into delight, but don't you want to know your creator and his voice so that when he speaks, you know who you are and you can step into the future that he has for you and he needs you and he wants you and he's calling. Now, on the other side of the coin, here's the deal, men and women, and I've been in these groups and I've been this guy before and I'm not going back. I'm not gonna spend any more time developing a congregation of overly educated religious bobbleheads who talk all about theology and have airtight doctrine but are absolutely bankrupt when it comes to risking obedience for the kingdom of God and loving their brothers and sisters sitting right next to them. Somewhere in the middle, is this knowledge, it's epigonosco, you're welcome, had to do it on this one. It's this gradual learning by experience that God is good and trustworthy. Don't you want some more experience with him to understand that you can trust him? Audrey and I always say it this way, in marriage, we thought it was gonna be like the awesome vacations or these amazing times when we had finances or plenty of food or whatever that were gonna really help build our marriage. And what we realize, it's the suffering and the going without that is the mortar in our marriage. When I'm at my worst or she's at her worst, 
and we continue to forgive and love and trust one another. I want more mortar in the relationship with my Father in heaven to experience him and trust him even when I can't see how he's gonna provide. So make every effort, men and women, to add to your faith, goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control. Single-handedly, probably the greatest overlooked fruit of the Spirit ever. I wonder if Peter, by the way, put this right after knowledge because some of you know more than you should be saying. You ever been in a relationship where you just, someone says something and all of a sudden you suck in the air and you don't stop talking for 30 minutes and you think you've just blessed someone because you fixed all their problems and they're actually worse than when they started the conversation with you? Did you ever notice Jesus said this to his disciples? I have so much more to tell you, but if I told you right now, it would overwhelm you. Have you ever been sitting in a conversation and go, yeah, that's not for right now? Because there's a responsibility that comes with our knowledge. And for those of us who are maturing in our faith, we have to be kind and considerate to people who are not in the journey that we are in or on that particular place because I'm gonna need it when you're at a different place and I'm not there yet. For some of them, something that we easily mastered may be the hardest thing that they've ever done. So I think we need to have self-control, but probably a better application of that word is particularly when it attains to physical desires. I got, over the past 20 years of working with young adults and college students, I just watch them drop like flies because at the end of the day, rather than worshiping God, they're worshiping their instant gratification. And they've decided that self-control is not something they want to control or have. And they read clearly, here's God's design for your sexuality and your relationships. And they go, that doesn't work for me. I wonder when self-control can actually be an expression of our faith and grace to learn to trust in the glory and goodness of God. So make every effort to add to your faith goodness to your goodness, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, and to your self-control, perseverance. Oh, this is, the, this is my jam. This is the one I'm looking for. This is continued right thinking in the face of temptation, trials, and tribulations. This is when God's not coming through the way we want him to, we still say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Where else am I gonna go? Who else has the words of life? This is when we fight off the core lie that today's just gonna be like tomorrow, that we begin to believe that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. And the reason that we need perseverance in the context of community is because at some point my faith will fail and I'm gonna need yours to remind me that the Lord is near the crushed and the brokenhearted in spirit, and that all who call upon the name of the Lord will find the Lord ready, willing, and waiting. It just may not be on my timetable or agenda. Grit and grace as the people of God who continue right thinking and right behavior in the face of temptation, adversity, and persecution. I wonder if a lot of times the reason we're having a hard time standing up underneath the weight of trials, temptations, and tribulations is because we weren't standing on the promises of God in the first place. Through his own glory and goodness, he has given us these very precious and great promises He's promised not to leave us or forsake us and you will not have to walk this journey alone. So make every effort to 
Add to your faith, goodness. To your goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. Now, what does that mean? It just simply means this. You honor God by submitting to his authority and obeying his will. A lot of us right now, we're having a hard time with that submission to authority piece, which I totally get. I have no problems questioning authority, but I want to do it in a respectful way. That's part of, I think, the way that God's wired me. I love religious rebels. I like subversive movements. But at the end of the day, when we get to the end next week of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's going to get done his sermon on his mouth. Jaws are going to drop, and people are going to whisper and rumor behind his back. He preaches with authority that no one else has. Why did Jesus have authority? Because his life and his words measured up. If men and women, if you want to be a person of authority, you have to be someone who is underneath authority. So that's simply godliness, honoring God by submitting to his authority so that we can obey his will. Perseverance, add godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, or if you want to rock the King Jimmy version, brotherly kindness. You're not going to like this one. Um, ben Stewart, we read through his book when we were doing a relationship series, and he's talking about um, all the guys who come to him and is like, hey, dude, how far is too far in my relationship physically? Like, like how could I love the Lord, respect her, but like, you know, what do I need to do? He says, well, biblically, you have two options. Uh, is she your wife yet? No. Great. So she's either your mother or your sister. And so whatever you would do with your mother or sister, go ahead and do with her. And they're like, shut up, man. He's like, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We are the family of God, and underneath the blood of Jesus, we've all been adopted into a fellowship, right? So every woman in here is either my mother or my sister. One of them is my wife. Bless the Lord. That's our brand of religion. We don't do multiple at a time. But you've got to learn to treat everyone as if they're in the same family. So that, that solves that. That's, I think that's kind of funny, but isn't it interesting how quickly we can start to assume the worst, get petty and divisive when we're called to be a family. I have enough problems making my own family work. Then we get all you sinners in the room, it gets really, really difficult. It's gonna take a lot of grace and all my issues are gonna come out and your issues are gonna come out, but I gotta realize that's my brother, that's my sister. I need to honor you as a mother and a father. I may not agree with everything and we may have conflict and sometimes the kindest thing I can do is confront someone in the midst of conflict. So what we need to do is add to our perseverance, this mutual affection, this kinship, this understanding that we are one family united under God and to that mutual affection, love. The Bible puts it this way, no greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends and that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He loved you. He came to earth, he lived, he died, and he's resurrected and he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding on behalf of all of the saints and brothers and sisters of God. What do I think matters most in life? Whatever it is, it begins in faith and it ends in love. And I think we'll find it together. Amen? So let's take 120 seconds. And now we want to practice what we call listening prayer. Just to give you some soul space, we want to preach the Bible clearly. And then we want to be able to respond to it. So we're going to put the list that we just talked about on the screen. And as they play underneath this, and as you guys look at that, would you just do this? Ask the Holy Spirit, would you catch my eye on one of those words?
Which one do you want more of in your life right now? Which one do you say, hey, this week, I wanna make every effort to partner with the Holy Spirit in making my goodness moments or just thanking the Lord for all the good things that he's given me that I'm constantly ignoring and only focusing on what I don't have. Just take a moment and look at that. And if you want to also celebrate, is there something on that list that you go, yeah, I've actually made some progress in that area. That's great, thank you, Lord, I appreciate that. Just take a minute, let the Lord direct your thoughts and your prayers and open up your ears and let him speak identity into you. And then ask him, what do you want more of out of my character this week? Let's listen together.